This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Introducing New 6 Plus, the best way to get your local news on demand. Search for New 6 Plus, install it on your smart TV, and you have literally everything you love from New 6 on demand. Seriously, go get it now. Watch news live and on demand anytime. It's all in the plus. Download New 6 Plus now. And welcome back to Florida Foodie. I'm your host, Lisa Bell, along with our producer, Thomas Mates, today. Hello. Hello. Today's guest has had an expansive career in the restaurant industry. He spent more than a decade with Darden Foods, where he was one of the founding members of the Olive Garden franchise of restaurants. He's also run his own restaurant management business for about 30 years. We are so happy to be joined today by Dave Minuccia, the founder and CEO of Restaurant Partners Incorporated. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So how did you decide to get involved in the food industry? <laughs> I think the food industry got involved with me. I started as a dishwasher Okay. when I was in high school at 16 years old. And uh, like most people, never think that you're going to be in the restaurant business your whole life. And I never did. So went on, uh, went to school, got a degree in business, got an MBA and Ended up working for General Mills, General Mills restaurants back then uh, here in Orlando when, when I moved to Orlando in 1981. And so we were doing accounting. And all of a sudden, this guy came through my department and sat there for two days, left. Two months later, he called. He goes, hey, remember me? I said, yeah. He goes, we're starting this new Italian chain. There's, I'm the first employee. I have one other employee, and I'd like to bring you on the team. And he said, uh, you know, if it doesn't work, we're probably all going to get fired and I can't give you a raise. And I said, I'm in. Let's go. Let's try it. <laughs> so I was uh, I ended up being about the third or fourth Olive Garden employee, technically. Um, and then there was a team of four of us that ended up putting that concept together. That is fascinating. Why you? That's a heck of a great, that is a great what question, Tom. <laughs> I often ask that during those 120 hour weeks. <laughs> Why me? We each had our own booth to sleep in and, you know, our wives didn't see us. They'd, they'd have to show up at 11 o'clock at night to say hi. And, um, well, I had the, I had the business acumen. So I was, um, I was the CFO, administrative guy, policy guy, uh, taste tester, dishwasher, you know, whatever it took back then. Um, but, you know, everybody had a discipline, you know, a gentleman by the name of Blaine Sweat who went on to create multiple concepts, Smoky Bones, Bahama Breeze, Seasons 52 for Darden and is now retired. But um, he was sort of the leader of the band. And then we had a culinary guy and an operations guy. And I was sort of the you know, I was the Ringo star of the group. I was in the back just keeping the beat, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, and made sure all the paychecks went out and bills got paid and all that kind of stuff. And then we all did multiple jobs. So it was there were no job descriptions. It was whatever it took. 
you just do it. So before we started this interview, you mentioned you were Italian. Did you have any input on the menu? Did you, you know, give them your critiques? Yeah, I'm going to go the other way. I am so not Italian. <laughs> As a matter of fact, after about three months of doing menu tasting of Italian food, and by the way, when you, when you do these things, you take a bite of this lasagna and, and you spit it out. You take a bite of this lasagna, you, you do like 20 of them. So it is not fun. But uh, I don't eat Italian, and I'm allergic to garlic. Wow. So the, the only reason there was a steak on the Olive Garden menu for the first 20 years is because that's I put it on there because there was nothing else to eat on that menu wow. that wouldn't make me sick. And we were there 18, 20 hours a day. Mm -hmm. so, so it was called Steak Tuscany, and that was mine. <laughs> that's it. That's awesome. So... Tell us about why and how you eventually left Olive Garden and then your next venture. So I was with Darden for 11 years. Um, very successful um, business that, that Darden runs and General Mills ran <laughs> back then. Uh, learned a lot. It's the best place to really learn the business side of the restaurant business. Um, and after about 11 years, it was getting to the point where you know, I, I was becoming a little bit of the teacher instead of the student. And I had realized um, that there were businesses out there that really didn't know what the right way to run a restaurant business was. Mm -hmm. They could cook, they could find a site, but they didn't put it all together. Mm -hmm. So I saw an opportunity there and, uh, and left after 11 years and started Restaurant Partners, which we've now been 30 years, this is our 30th year. So before we started talking, we were talking before, and then you're saying that Restaurant Partners does more than just operate restaurants. You also consult, you manage, sort of walk us through the full service. So one of the things that I learned at Darden is you have to have an infrastructure to support a restaurant business. You know, you can't just be a chef and, and have a great spaghetti recipe. That's fine. But what about paying the bills? What about the rent? What about, you know, all those things, taxes and all so we set about to set up what we call a chassis. And our chassis has marketing, operations, policies and procedures, purchasing, accounting, uh, HR. That chassis is now available to all our clients and all our managed properties as well as our own properties. So what we've done is we built this chassis and on that we built three pillars. The first pillar is consulting, which I enjoy a lot. Uh, I really enjoy taking on projects. Um, and now, believe it or not, my son runs the consulting side of that business, um, which is, uh, is kind of satisfying to see him come along as well. Then we have management, where we manage properties for other people, developers, marinas, uh, hotel guys, all those kinds of folks. Um, and that's been very successful. And that really is what kept us going through COVID, because HOA fees and management fees paid us even though restaurants were shut down mm. in some cases. Mm -hmm. So we were very fortunate in that regard. And then we have the ones that we own. Mm -hmm. And we've owned various ones over the years, but they all sit on that chassis. And they all use the same services of that chassis. And that's how we can expand and provide services to the one-off operator that they may not be able to afford otherwise. So you do deal with small business owners, people who are just starting out as well as you know, the big guys? We do. Um, we've had many, many one-store operators who want to expand. Mm -hmm. And that's typically what happens is 
somebody will come to us and go, hey, I have a great operation, mm -hmm. and I want 10 of them, but I don't know what to do. I don't know how to negotiate a lease. I don't know the numbers. My bank needs a, ba a, a business plan. Well, can you help me? Right. And, and we've been able to do that successfully over the years, and um, we can't guarantee success, but what we can guarantee is the foundation that you can worry about doing what you do best and let us take care of everything else. And that's worked out really well for a lot of folks. Which is so interesting because just as someone who likes to, you know, dine out at various restaurants and then when they have to close for whatever reason, you wonder how could this place be shutting down? You know, you see it's always packed, they have great food. Yeah. What happened? You know, there's so many ways it can go wrong and right. very few ways it can go right. Right, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a pretty high risk, high reward business. Uh, when you hit it, you hit it big. Yeah. And many people have made lots and lots of money um, but a lot of people don't work because they just don't have that bandwidth of what to do if a lease comes up. What's a good lease look like? What should my rent be? Is this good? Is it not good? Uh, you know, I'm not going to pay my payroll taxes this quarter because I need the money. Yeah, don't do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, those kinds of things small operators tend to slip into. Mm -hmm. And that causes their downfall. Yeah, you're saying a lot of chefs, like, they couldn't read a financial report if they to save their lives. <laughs> you know, I love chefs, and I kid my chefs a lot, but mm -hmm. chefs are the... Uh, everybody wants to be Emeril or Gordon Ramsay, but Emeril and Gordon Ramsay have strong business partners right. that are behind the scenes, so they can get out there and do their thing and make their, their food and, and yuck it up. But the guys running their businesses are business guys. And that's really when we consult or manage, well, mostly consult, we want to stay behind the scenes. We're not looking to be the heroes. Let the chef be the hero. Mm -hmm. Just be successful. Our reward is making sure your restaurant is successful if you hire us. So what are some of the restaurants that your company now owns and, and operates? So Sloppy Joe's is the ones, are the ones that uh, are here in Central Florida. We have one in Daytona, and we just opened one at Icon Park, uh, which you've been to, I right. guess. Right, yes. Um, so those are the ones we, we currently own. We have kind of a, a partial ownership arrangement and one in Boca Raton. And then we have about uh, 10 others that we manage around the state. Um, 10 other restaurants. 10 other restaurants. Not Sloppy Joe's. No, they're, yeah. they're all different yeah. brands, all yeah. different. We go everywhere from pizza all the way up to, uh, we have a prime steakhouse in Gainesville with oysters that's a $100 check. Yes. Um, and again, we're able to do that because we have this chassis and, you know, our accounting people can pay the bill for a pizza place the same as they can pay it for a steak place. And HR can hire a manager for a pizza like they can for a steak place. So it really, we leverage that pretty well. So there isn't much of a difference from your perspective of like the high-end steakhouse versus the mom-and-pop pizza place? Well, there's different levels of management. Um, you know, we're, we're about to take over a couple restaurants here in town and we need different levels of management um, than just a pizza guy, for mm -hmm. instance. Um, so it does vary. And of course, menus, when our culinary team gets in there, we talk about putting them on contracts and cross-utilization of product. And here's how you do inventory and all that boring business stuff. But that's the stuff that starts to tighten down your food costs particularly in this environment, which right. is crazy. I was just going to say, how have these supply chain issues affected your chassis? So there's two things, Lisa, that really have slapped us around. The first thing is we did an analysis on the first quarter of our business. Second quarter just ended, but 
Uh, our cost, raw material cost, product costs were up 19.4%, which is probably better than most because we have contracts. Mm -hmm. But at 19.4%, I can't go out and raise my prices 19.4%. Mm -hmm. You add on to that the continuing increase in both minimum wage and what it takes to just hire people because of the shortage, and you start to squeeze your margins pretty quickly. Um, the other thing that happens during the supply chain issue is substitutions. I've had six different French fries at Sloppy Joe's in six months, not because I want to, but because our, our distributor says, this is what we have. Do you want them or not? Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I'll go in and I'll go, these aren't our fries. And, and my chef will go, you're lucky we got fries in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay. Yeah, that's got to be tough considering like with chain restaurants, consistency yeah. across it brands. It is. It's difficult. But you're also catering to tourists, so they might not know that this isn't the fries you were serving, you know, three months ago. So I'll tell you this little story about it's a secret that Darden's not going to like me for. But <laughs> one of the reasons that Darden opens all of their prototypes on iDrive is just that. Okay. We did it with Olive Garden. They did it with China Coast. Did it with, well, Seasons 52, not quite, but close. Because if you screw up the group from Ohio, the group from Kentucky comes next week, yeah. and we're okay. <laughs> uh, they don't know how bad we screwed up last week, yeah. so we're good. And sooner or later, we figure it out, and then everybody's That's good. really interesting, yeah. But you actually opened up your Daytona Beach location first. We did. We had one in Treasure Island that was attached to a hotel, and the okay. hotel sold. We ran that for 12 years. Okay. Uh, so we knew Sloppy Joe's. And there are two versions of Sloppy Joe's. There's Key West. And there's not every place you can go where you get a, a cruise ship of 3,000 people at 9 in the morning that are walking by your restaurant. Right. <laughs> so that's a unique thing. And you have, you know, roosters walking through and cats peeing on your foot. You know, all those. <laughs> I can't do that in America normally. Yeah. It works right. in Key West. <laughs> so we did a homogenized version where it was much more food oriented. And, you know, what, what we talked to the Key West guys about is, look, let's develop something that can play in Peoria. <laughs> yeah. And... So ours is a little toned down from Key West. Uh, we still have the components with the music mm -hmm. and some of the menu items and the decor and the history and all that, but we want to make it a little safer than... And you do a live stream from Key West into your restaurant, which we is pretty do. cool. Yeah, you know, uh, there You're was a lot of showing a musician that's performing in Key West yep. to people who are dining on iDrive. We're trying to bring Key West or components of Key West to each of the restaurants so that people feel like they're attached mm -hmm. to the mothership, if you will. And um, there was a lot of debate about that amongst our team because some of the guys down in Key West get a little dicey sometimes. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. okay, how loud do we want to play that? Um, but it's worked out great, and we have a great relationship with our, with our friends down in Key West. Okay. And, uh, and it's worked out well. Mm -hmm. And people like it. So you just opened also your location on iDrive in December. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been open up seven months now. Right. Um, how are things going? And obviously you missed the whole pandemic era with trying to run that during all of that. Well, I was telling Tom that one of the reasons we actually opened in that spot, because we're not, we're not Darden or Brinker or one of the big guys that can afford those high rents, Outback. Um, was because of the pandemic. So um, Chris Jaskowitz, who's the CEO of Icon, had been kind of kicking the tires and why can't we come down there? What's, you know, bring something down here. And it was too expensive. 
I mean, we have a pretty tight financial box that we have to fit our deals into to make make our bankers happy and our investors happy and get our returns. And it never fit the box. And um, during COVID, he said, basically, we can deal now. Mm-hmm. We have opportunity. And we struck a deal. And uh, they're great landlords. Mm-hmm. It's worked out great for us. Uh, we're still finding our feet a little bit because we haven't gone through a, f- a whole year. And there are different types of um, visitors yeah. at different types of years. Yeah. Summertime's busy. Right. Spring break. Yeah. yeah. So you got all the kids down there today. Yeah. And in the fall, you have all the conventioneers. And in right. the winter, you have all the Canadians. And so we're trying to figure out all the pieces and make sure that we touch on every one of them. So. That's a challenge. Yeah. It's always a challenge. <laughs> nothing easy about the restaurant business. I, I promise yeah. you that. And how has the restaurant business? You've been in it now, what, 40 years? I mean, thank you very much. Well, you know, you've gone through your background a little bit. How has it evolved over the decades? I think a couple of things. The consumer is way smarter than they used to be. Um, there's so much information out there. There is so There's so much knowledge. The Food Channel has brought everybody into that realm that the celebrity chefs and the, the books that are written. So everybody thinks they're foodie. And we travel to a lot of cities. And, you know, if I had a dollar for every mayor or city councilman who told me we're a foodie city, I, I could retire. I'm done. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody thinks they're a foodie. Um, so that that has raised the level. People know you can't, not that you could back then as much, but you can't really feed them a subpar product. Mm-hmm. Uh, you brought your family into Sloppy yeah. Joe's and you, you would know if that product was subpar. Mm-hmm. So that's the first challenge. The second challenge we have, of course, in this environment is labor. Um, not only the cost of labor, the, the availability of labor, the competence of labor, the, the, the desire of people to stay in the industry. And, and uh, Have you ever seen anything like it? Not exactly. Now, we've gone through 9-11. We've gone through the recession in 2009, and now we've gone through COVID. COVID has been the one that has stuck the longest Mm -hmm. um, and probably will have the longest lasting impact. Uh, Was this a trend you were seeing before the pandemic hit, or was the the pandemic just hit and then it was all, the dominoes just fell? The good employers, and we were fortunate enough to be one, Mm -hmm. the good employers had the good employees. And there were enough of them that you didn't really worry. I know one of the restaurants we had, we had a waiting list for, for servers because they were making so much money. Mm. And they all wanted to work there. Mm-hmm. And when somebody left, you know, somebody came in. Those days are, are gone. What I don't think we emphasize enough outside of the industry is the career paths that people can have. I mean, I started as a dishwasher and worked all the way through and... And even if you don't think you're going to be in the business, it's probably like the news business. You start as a, a runner or something, and, and all of a sudden you're an anchor. Um, but there are a lot of ways you can make a living in the restaurant business that are still family-friendly. I mean, I raised four kids working in the business and never missed a football game or a dance recital or any of those things because you do it different. And that's when I set my company up, I wanted to make sure – that everybody knew that there had to be balance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether you're going to go see your son play baseball or your daughter go to a dance recital or your son play soccer, whatever it is, I want you to go. 
because there'll be times where you're there till 11 o'clock. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, take Tuesday afternoon off, but be there Saturday. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems to have worked out. Mm-hmm. So going back to Sloppy Joe's, you talked about the product. Um, I love how you are trying to bring a little taste of Key West, a little taste of Florida to the group from Kentucky or Ohio on iDrive. I have to say I was, for dessert, I was, I was really torn between the key lime pie and the banana cream, and I went with the banana cream. I don't regret that, but I feel like I you know, should have had the key mm-hmm. lime as well. Well... You should have. Okay. <laughs> my, husband, my husband had the sloppy Joe. Which okay. I, is that? I mean, is that what you should order at Sloppy Joe's? I felt like I should, and I felt like I was making the wrong choice by ordering mahi mahi, but I wasn't disappointed. No, no, no. no. You, you, the, the one thing that I think we've tried to do is try to to have people walk out of Sloppy Joe's, uh-huh. which looks like it should just be a dive bar. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And the food's going to be in a basket, and it's going to be all frozen and. And it's not. And what we want people to know is that uh, the sort of the tagline I keep talking to the team about is food better than you expected. It's not going to be five star Michelin food. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's sloppy joes. It's casual dining, but it's (laughs) way better than you expected. Mm -hmm. Right. And if we execute it right, and hopefully we did when you were there, um, you walk out and go, that was that was pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, you want to get fried fish and french fries you absolutely can do it but it's a good fried fish and french mm-hmm. fries um so i i think we've we're trying to change that perception a little bit of it just being a dive bar mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. we've done really well in the other restaurants that we've done it in and i think we're going to do really well at icon as well mm-hmm. And I can tell you just like watching social media, I do see so many people posting pictures of the buoy out in front of, you know, your restaurant and, yeah. and feeling like they're in Key West just with the whole decor and ambiance. Yeah, we've tried to bring a little bit of that there. And, um, you know, again, with the entertainment and the live mm-hmm. feeds and the countdown clock to sunset, uh, where we broadcast live from Mallory Square and then toast yeah. the sunset, uh, we're trying to incorporate some of the things that, Make people go, okay, I get it. That's cool. I'm in Orlando, but it feels like a little bit like Key West. So we know you don't just work full-time. You also do a lot of philanthropy, especially with Second Harvest. Tell us a little bit about that work. So I'll go back to Olive Garden days. As we were literally making 15 lasagnas and taking a bite, spitting it out, taking a bite, and spitting it out, you know, it sort of dawned on me that, what are we doing? We're throwing this food out? Mm -hmm. There's got to be somebody out there and... You know, I come from a pretty modest background, and my mother, on Thanksgiving, as little money as we had, always put together a basket for somebody who was worse off than us, mm-hmm. you know, which I always stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And so finally got involved with Second Harvest, uh, and back then it was the Central Florida Food Bank, and got General Mills involved and ended up sitting on the board and being board president for a while. So. Being in the restaurant business, it's really difficult for me to think that my kids wouldn't have something to eat. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't, it doesn't register. And yet I've seen it with my own eyes and actually made my kids work at Second Helpings, which is the hot food part of Second Harvest, mm-hmm. you know, in Paramore and different places, uh, just so they don't take it for granted. So I think the concept of being hungry is is really tough yeah. for mm-hmm. me as a restaurant guy to, to wrap my head around, even though as a kid, I, I got it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I have a particular feeling, a good feeling for the kids. And if there's anything that we can do as a, as a company or individually, and I stayed on that board for about six years mm -hmm. and, uh, and they've done a fabulous job. They've just grown fantastic. Um, very proud of them. Well, we hear too so much about like food waste, especially in our country. I mean, and you probably see that firsthand, you know, trying I'm sure to not waste a lot of food, but you see people also ordering huge amounts of food and having just, you know, a little bit and then the rest of it ends up in the trash. What are your thoughts when you see stuff like that? And what do you really see in terms of food waste? You know, it's interesting because, um, <laughs> I hate to keep using Olive Garden stories, mm -hmm. but 37% of the people who ate in Olive Garden took food home with them. And whether it was salad and breadsticks or whether they couldn't finish their lasagna or whatever. And it, there is a, a school of thought that injects value. The more food I get, the better the value. Right. And, and there is a group that buys into that. And, and it's been very successful for the casual dining segment of the industry. You go high end, not so much. Mm -hmm. um, so there, I, I'm torn. We don't want people throwing stuff away. Right. But there is a sense that if you give them a big portion, for instance, we have a one pound BLT on, on our Sloppy Joe's menu. It's the most Instagrammable food item. Yeah. <laughs> and, and people don't believe it's a pound. Yeah. It's a pound of bacon. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They're taking it home. They're not eating You're it. You're right. <laughs> so, so there is value and there is excitement and there's energy uh -huh. when you get those kinds of things. I don't know if your kids had the... Uh, the Girardelli Sunday, but if they did, I mean, it's a giant thing. We did not have that. Yeah. Next, next time. Next time. Yeah. If you want them all hyped up on sugar, right, that's yeah, the thing to get. Go. Um, so, yeah, I don't want I don't want food wasted. Obviously, mm -hmm. nobody wants food wasted, but there is a sense of value to some people. The more you get. Mm -hmm. How is shrinkflation? We've been hearing that term thrown around so much that people are, you know, paying the same amount but getting less. Is that something that you're noticing in the restaurant industry as people try to combat some of these surging prices? So there's only a few things that you can change mm -hmm. to make money in the restaurant business. You can change portion, you can change quality, you can change price. Mm -hmm. We are very resistant to changing quality. We're not going to change quality. Mm -hmm. Very resistant to changing portion, which is what you're talking mm -hmm. about. So we're ending up changing price, but there's a ceiling mm -hmm. that you hit where you go, no, $27 cheeseburger is not going to work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so at some point you're pushed to the next level, which mm -hmm. is uh, size portion. You go, okay, should we cut from an eight to a seven? Mm -hmm. uh, okay. We can make that work. So there's, it's real mm -hmm. when you're menu engineering, that is very real in the conversation. Um, but the first thing we go to is if the quality's right and the portion's right, will people pay for it? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the judgment call. Yeah, and what are you seeing? Because, you know, it's, it's fascinating being where I am, where we do all of these news stories about the surging inflation, rising gas prices, the cost, people are struggling. And then you go out to a place like I drive, and it's packed. The theme parks are right. packed. And it's like, Airports. well, all these people don't seem to have a problem making ends meet, you know? You know, yeah, you're right. I don't get it. I, yeah. I don't know. Is it, are they just biting the bullet and spending the money? Because it's, I don't know. I mean, without getting into geopolitical yeah. things, I I think the, the middle class is getting stretched further between mm -hmm. haves and have-nots. 
And what you're seeing, the haves don't have a problem, mm-hmm. whatever that half means. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the half can be, you know, a single person who's 22 making enough yeah. money to go out and spend all the money they want. Right. Yeah. That could be a half. Yep. Or it could be a family of four that can't fill up their gas tank, and that could be a have-not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we're also seeing with, with a, I don't want to say millennial generation because I don't know if that's exactly right, but I think there's a lot of let's live for today mm-hmm. where my parents were like, you don't spend a thing. <laughs> we came up in the we're depression. We're living until we're 80. Well, yeah. We're reusing the plastic glad bag, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so my generation's somewhere in between, but down there, it's like we're gonna go have a good time. Yeah. You talked about like going from like an eight an eight ounce burger to a seven ounce burger. Is it like that precise? Precise like shaving it down just ever so. Tom, I'm gonna tell you, literally, if you looked at our recipes, we have ounces of salt, mm-hmm. uh, lettuce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know the cocktail it, sauce, whatever. It, it's on. It's all in there. Is it going from like one slice of two slices of cheese to one slice of cheese? Like oh, that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, those decisions are there because it's 15 cents for a slice of cheese. Well, mm-hmm. 15 cents and you're running a 30 percent food cost. I mean, you can take your price down 50, 60 cents. Mm-hmm. Is that worth it? Or you can leave the price the same and recover the cost of that increased bun or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds really silly to sit yeah, and do that. But, but you have to think about all of that that's, stuff. That's yeah. the business side of how you make money in the business. Mm-hmm. And now you could go overboard. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can go way overboard. And a lot of a lot of people will say, just give it to them, and if it's good enough, they'll keep coming back. And there's some there, there's some validity to that. Um, but at least you have to make that decision. So what's next for Sloppy Joe's and for Restaurant Partners? So Restaurant Partners continues to grow with managed contracts. Um, we actually are uh, in a couple of weeks headed up uh, with a developer to do. To, to look at a, a restaurant opportunity on the campus of Auburn uh, with, uh, with Bo Jackson. Oh, cool. Uh, and, and so we've done restaurants around the country. Uh, we're fortunate to have a pretty good reputation, pretty good success rate. So we don't have to market too much, but people hear about us and they come, come looking for us and, and we can kind of pick and choose a little bit. Mm-hmm. The challenge and the limitation to our growth is, is good quality people I'm, I'm wow. just i'm really if anybody's listening to this yeah. and they're a good quality hospitality industry person call me on all aspects <laughs> all levels mm-hmm. yeah from hostess to operations manager i'll take Isn't them all. that crazy yeah. it's yeah it's silly it's it's the single thing that keeps me awake. You get people applying to be a hostess, but they want to work from home and make $100,000 a please, year. Please, please. <laughs> Have you met my staff? Right, <laughs> yes. Uh, I, yeah. And we hear that a lot. Do you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How, yeah. how do you work from home in the TV business? I don't we did it. <laughs> we did it. Did you really? We did. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, before, right. was, the yeah. Really? yeah. Producing a live television show from your house is a scary thing. Yeah. I'll tell you that. Or much. anchoring from yeah. your house. You okay. have a camera, and basically that's it's it. Use your laptop. And, and, uh, really? Yeah. Hope it doesn't freeze. The dog doesn't bark. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Teleprompter. You just have a teleprompter. Or you just try to read off of your scripts or off of off of the computer screen in front of you, mm-hmm. and no teleprompter. How hard and was that? 
I was one of the people who actually never worked from home because I have two small children and that was, they who Disaster. were home. <laughs> yeah. And that was not going to work. Yeah. I can't do anything at my house yeah. at all. Um, yes. So I had to come in here, but we did have other people um, who worked from home. And there are definitely, in their experience, were pros and cons mm -hmm. to it. Um, but I think ultimately, as you probably experienced, it's, beneficial in many regards to have people on site. Yeah. You know, and I'm so old school. I, yeah. I, I believe that hallway conversation and the impromptu meetings and the, wait, I thought you were doing that. No, you're doing that. Right. Those kinds of things. Yes. Yes. I think there's a synergy that you lose yeah. by people. Now, if you're a hedge fund broker and all you're doing is looking at computers all day, fine. Mm -hmm. yeah. But if you're in the hospitality business, it's hard to be hospitable. Yeah, you know, when you're not interacting with any people. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the communication, especially when you're face to face Difficult. and sitting next to someone, oh, yeah, is yeah, yeah. so much easier. Oh, yeah. it's huge. It's huge. Yeah, inflections and yeah, all that kind of yes. stuff. I mean, yeah, yes. you guys trying to communicate through yeah. email is yeah. a nightmare sometimes right, in yeah. this business. Like, oh, are they really mad? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's>, yeah. <laughs> just busy, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, I respond every text with K. Yeah. K. <laughs> <laughs> And then they invent emojis to, to say, are you really mad? No, I'm really happy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I'm confused. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much. It has been delightful to chat with you. Thank you and, very much. and we wish you nothing but success with Sloppy Joe's. If you come to Orlando, if you're in Orlando, check it out on iDrive. So much going on on iDrive. So many things to do. I love taking my young children. They're five and eight out there. And... We find new things every time we go. So it's always fun and entertaining. And even when it's hot and rainy outside, you can always go inside and get a Sloppy Joe. Go to Sloppy Joe's. There you go. Love to have you. Thank you so much. Thanks for fun. the time. Yep. Thank you for listening to Florida Foodie. We'd also like to thank our guest, Dave Minuccia. You can find his business online at restaurantpartnersinc.com. That's restaurantpartnersinc.com. Be sure to follow Lisa Bell online, search Lisa Bell News on Facebook and Instagram, or Lisa Bell News 6 on Twitter. You can find Candace Campos on social media as well. She's on Twitter, just search at Candace News 6, and on Facebook, search Candace Campos News 6. Also, a big thank you to our technical producers, Derek Mosier and Ryan Haley, our post-production audio engineer, Chris Flora, and our director, Bob Myers. I'm the show's producer, Thomas Mates. Please take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or you can tell a friend about us. And you can find videos of all of our podcasts on clipperlando.com slash floridafoodie, and be sure to sign up for the Florida Foodie newsletter while you're there. Every month we sit down for a real talk. So I had some of the young black troops that come to me, and the chief is real prejudice and focus on real solutions i'm just trying to give back um i wouldn't be here without someone mentoring me the challenges along the way she said what's wrong with you and i was like man i've hit like rock bottom and what's next there is absolutely nothing in this world you cannot accomplish join real talk real solutions as we explore the issues impacting the black community and what you can do to get results Download the podcast from wherever you listen to podcasts.